Hey everyone, KeepToTheCity.com has partnered with the Alleyway Sports Bar on the Upper East Side for Rangers viewing parties this season. Come to the Alleyway Sports Bar located at East 70th Street between 1st and York this Thursday, January 15th at 7pm to watch the Rangers and Bruins and enjoy drink specials including $30 cash for open bar for the entire game. Head to the Alleyway on Thursday night or visit KeepToTheCity.com slash Rangers Party for more information. You're listening to the Keep to the City Podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, it's a rainy, cold Monday in New York City, but uh, things are heating up for the Rangers as they continue their um, pretty amazing role that's gone back to the beginning of December and sweeping the West Coast swing um, and finishing up with the win on Saturday night against the Sharks. And here to talk about the Rangers as they head home, head back to New York to face the Islanders on Tuesday, then uh, up to Boston on Thursday, is Adam Herman from Blue Shirt Banter. Uh, you can read his stuff over there on blueshirtbanter.com and follow him on Twitter at Adam Herman underscore BSB. Adam, how's it going today? I'm getting you. How are you? I'm doing well. I, uh, you know, I thought about uh, when I first said Adam Herman from Blue Shirt Bandit. It felt kind of weird because I'm so used to seeing it associated with the, uh, you know, NY Rangers blog. And now that that's no longer what it was, it's sort of uh, sad to not, you know, head there every day and see Kevin's write up. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it's definitely a bit different. Definitely uh, took me a while to get used to. Um, you know, I understand why Kevin uh, made the decision to to leave, uh, but. You know, it's still not still not fun to see him. You know, uh, you know, as crazy as uh, some of the things he said, you know, tended to be. <laughs> you know, he's still a great voice in the community. He's a great guy, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see him again at some point. Even though he, you know, he'll deny it, I'm sure we'll see him again. <laughs> well, the, the one thing uh, that sticks out, you know, from uh, when you write or tweets or anything like that, is, is the whipping boy Tanner Glass, and you know, through uh, through the Rangers' past, you know, I've been uh, I've used Dan Girardi is that guy and whether that's fair or not and I know uh, you know he he's done more good than he has bad it just seems like his bad spots happen uh, in the limelight mm-hmm. but for the way you treat Tanner Glass I mean going back I mean that's the way sort of I treated like Nick Swisher, Boone Logan those guys on the Yankees so it's a bit refreshing to see how many people are, are negative towards Tanner Glass and uh, how detrimental really he is to the team. Yeah uh <laughs> You know, it's interesting kind of uh, the life it's taken on, but, you know, I think people get their wrong idea. And it's that, you know, I don't, I don't see Tanner Glass as a person, you know. If, if, I, if I saw him in the street, I'd, you know, I'd say hi, I'd say good luck tonight <laughs> if he was playing or whatever. You know, it's not like this personal vendetta. It's just he's not a good hockey player. And, you know, I'm in the business of evaluating hockey players and how they play and, uh, you know, teams and, and tactics and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it's just, when you look at both his play and you look at the statistics, it's just not just this year, but his entire career, he just has not been a productive hockey player. So, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I, I really hope one day, hope one day soon, I will not have to talk about it anymore. But, you know, as long as it's on the team, as long as in the back of the lane, in those minds, you know, there's a possibility of him playing Terry Glass and games that matter. It's, it's a topic I have to discuss. I get that, uh, you know, people have to understand that you don't obviously have a personal vendetta against the guy or anything like that. It's just the way he's on the ice. And I used to be like that sort of with A.J. Burnett and, and the way I, I wrote and spoke about him. And it's not like 
you know, you don't hate these people, the people they are. You just, when they're on the ice right. or they're on the field or something, you, you have to take that aside from uh, the person and the personality they are. But uh, I know you're a big, you know, advanced stats guy when it comes to hockey, and I, I'm not the biggest. I, I've moved towards that way. I'm becoming, you know, more familiar with the stuff over the last couple of years. But uh, I always, you know, tend to use those stats when it comes to Tanner Glass because it's just another reason to cite to his to his fans or to the guys that feel like he needs to be in the lineup for enforcement or toughness. Um, it's just another positive to have in your back pocket when you're talking about why he shouldn't be playing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see the way people respond to these stats. And I think one common misconception is that, you know, oh, well, the stats are one thing, but, you know, look at how he does this and this and this. You know, and when you look at certain stats, they're not a separate entity from how they're playing, you know, whether it's on the ice, on the field, whatever, you know. These stats are just a way of quantifying what it is that we're watching on the ice. So when I say, you know, for instance, that Tanner Glass is a bad possession player statistically, you know, that number didn't just magically get generated at random. You can look at his play, you could break down certain shifts, whatever, and see how that's culminating, how that happens. Um, so, you know, even if you're not a stats person, you know, fair enough. You don't need the stats to understand why it is that uh, Tanner Glass is a bad possession, or anyone else is a bad or a good uh, possession player, um, a good shooter, what you know, whatever it is. So I think that you know the kind of weird, you know, agenda some people have against that, you know, is really interesting because you know you don't need them to see what it is that they're portraying. No, I agree, and I think. Um... You know, I think that's one of the main things is that it sort of makes a, it an individual thing rather than a team thing so you can pick apart, um, you know, who's at fault and who's not. And, and certainly, you know, playing on a different line or your, or your minutes or, uh, you know, where your shift starts um, all comes into play. But I think, you know, when it comes to these guys and, and the guys like Glass and the fourth liners, it's more important and more imperative because you know what you're getting out of your top two lines and essentially your third line. But trying to figure out those last few roster spots is really when it comes into play, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, well, you look at the playoffs last year, you know, when when you're in the playoffs, especially, you know, the later rounds, every team is going to have, you know, a few really good players. You don't get that far with, you know, mediocre uh, top lines or, you know, all vocal tending, you know, or without a couple of who can eat a lot of minutes. So, you know, at that point, you know, it's not the difference between winning isn't going to be, you know, Rick Nash versus Sidney Crosby. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be about that. It's going to be about who's got you know a better end of the roster. Um, because, like I said, uh, the difference in talent is negligible when you're looking at the top guys. So, you know, people say it's one forward. You know, it's the fourth line. Who cares? Well, I think we saw last year for the Rangers that it's a big deal. You know, we saw Dan Carcillo scoring in Game Seven against the Flyers. Uh, we saw Brian Boyle scoring in uh, Game Seven against the Penguins, and it was Dominic Moore scoring against the Canadians in Game Six. Uh, and the Rangers of the Cup. So, you know, it's really interesting to see people say, like, who cares or putting too much of a focus on it. You know, maybe it doesn't matter as much now, but it's going to matter a hell of a lot down the line. So You mentioned uh, Boyle there, and uh, I sort of forgot about him because I spent so much time talking about him in the past, but now that he's gone, there's there's no real need to. And uh, I, I talked about, a lot about him with Kevin in, in the past on these podcasts and uh, the positives and negatives he brought to the team. And um, he was certainly uh, a whipping boy for the general public. And uh, he, he did come through in the playoffs. He he did sort of elevate his game and become more of a – maybe never never really lived up to the first round hype that uh, he got when he was at Boston College. 
college and then drafted by the Kings. But he certainly turned into a, a, a very solid role player in this league and, and was given them that sort of money by the Lightning. But you know, going back to his time with the Rangers, and, and as you mentioned him now with comparison to the fourth line that they have now, were you a, a Boyle guy or not a Boyle guy? Was I, a, I was not on the. I was not one of those people who was constantly railing against Brian Boyle. Um, you know, because I, I get why people did. Because, well, first of all, he had you know, a couple of seasons with the Rangers that really just were not good enough, which is fair. Um, but, you know, there seems to be this kind of, like, uh, expectation for the general public where if you're someone who's really big, uh, then you have to be, you know, really, and if you're big and strong, then you have to be one of those guys who just throws big hits and wins fights and, you know, does that kind of thing, which, you know, could he have done that? Maybe, but... You know, I don't think that that should take away from the fact that, you know, he was a good talented killer um, or he was good on face-offs or, uh, you know, he could ship in the occasional goal. Um, so was I a Brian Boyle guy? I, I don't know. I mean, I think they're doing pretty well without him right now. Um, I think he's, you know, a, he's a good fourth liner but a replaceable one, um, you know. But I don't, I don't think he was ever deserving of, you know, being – you know, criticized heavily in the way he was. <laughs> well, for someone uh, who, who maybe shouldn't have been a first-rounder in hindsight, um, you've got Derek Broussard. He recently wrote about uh, he's now starting to live up to the expectations or, or that of a first-round pick in the past with the Blue Jackets. And he's really, I mean, he's been looking like a different player. And I, I like the trade when he came over. And uh, as you know, as, as sad as it was to see the, the turnover with the team at the end of the Tortorella era. But um, I was a Broussard guy right from the start. And then last year, uh, with a full season with him to get to see what he does, and then this year playing on a, a line with Nash full time, and and those two helping each other out. Um, I mean, Brassard just elevated his game to another level, and he's been maybe aside from you know the, the Lundqvist and, and St. Louis and Nash, the, the most uh, exciting and entertaining player to watch. Yeah, you know, he's always kind of had that talent, and that's why he went sixth overall um, in in two thousand six. But you know, it's just a matter of you know finding a situation where he could kind of thrive on that instead of, you know, when, when he was in Columbus, you know, his, his uh, first row coach was Ken Hitchcock, and, you know, Hitchcock is a very good coach with a lot of accomplishments in the NHL, obviously, but, you know, right away, kind of, they brought Broussard in as a, you know, uh, at a very young age and said, look, you need to work on your defense, you need to do these defensive shifts, he was put on the fourth line a lot, you know, which obviously is not uh, conducive to a lot of offensive play, uh, perhaps. Um, and, you know, maybe it was too much too soon for him. Um, and, you know, obviously now you've seen in New York, look, no one's going to expect Derek Broussard to, you know, put in some great defensive shifts and, you know, block all these shots and all that kind of thing. But that's not what he's needed for uh, with the Rangers. You know, Derek Stepan is the guy who's going to be, you know, put out against a Crosby or a Datsuk or whomever else, you know, to be that shutdown guy. And, you know, Dominic Moore um, is going to be put out you know, in the real tough defensive shifts on the penalty kill and such. So, you know, now for Broussard, it's kind of just, look, you're an offensive player. Obviously, you can't be a lazy back checker or anything like that. But, you know, just do you in the offensive zone. And, you know, I think we're finally – I think he's in a situation where he's finally comfortable with himself, uh, comfortable with his lineups and his line mates. And, you know, it's just in a 
he's a lot happier, I think, which is really, you know, it's kind of ironic when you think of New York as this big, you know, pressure chamber in Columbus, you know, who cares? But I think coming to New York, it was a huge relief for him. Yeah, and, and with Nash, uh, obviously coming from Columbus and under different circumstances, but going back to the 2011-12 season, I was willing to do anything to get him back at that trade deadline that February, and I thought they had to get him to get over that hump and, and to, to get back to the cup final, and, and they didn't, and they waited till July, and uh, maybe it cost them against the Devils, and maybe that, you know, they needed that extra score to get through that series. But he's yep. been here, and, uh, you know, I, I've never said a bad word about the guy because I've been so pro-Nash and, and wanted to get him here so badly that, uh, you know, I didn't get on him for the playoff performances over the last two years. Um, and now I'm, I, I guess my uh, reasoning is sort of being justified by the season he's having now where he might threaten that, that Yager goal record of 54. And, uh, I mean, it's just been night and day with Nash. And, and granted, um, he claims he's been playing the same way. I, I just really don't think you can make that case. And I know the concussions in the past had to play a role in the way he played and, and wasn't driving to the net, wasn't getting the scoring chances as he is now. But to watch him this season, it's been, you know, aside from that Yager season nine nine years ago, I mean, this is the best Ranger we've probably seen in the last two decades. Yeah, um, you know, it's real, it's real interesting, uh, you know, because kind of the narrative that's taking form on Rick Nash is that he's a, you know, he's a choker, you know, he's a, he can't, he doesn't show up for the playoffs and such. You know, if, if you look at his, uh, the scouting reports that uh, were, were circulating right around his draft year, one of the big things that was always uh, commented was that he showed up in the big games um, and he was not afraid of the spotlight, that kind of thing. You know, it's real interesting to look at that and kind of compare it to um, what people think of him now. You know, and you know, the, thing with, the thing with playoffs is that, yes, there's more pressure. Um, yes, it's against better teams, but the fundamentals of the game don't change, right? Like, you know, it's not like for the playoffs, uh, you know, they take out offsides or, <laughs> you know, or, you know, face-offs count as, you know, if you win a face-off, you get a power player. You know, the game, the game itself is the same. So is there a little bit more pressure? Yes, but it's absurd to say, like, he's not, you know, he can't perform in the playoffs because if he can do what he does in the regular season, then why can't he do it in the playoffs? Let's go back two years ago when they beat the Capitals in seven games that he didn't score, and it was sort of like, well, if they could get by the Capitals and overcome a 2-0 series deficit and not have a Nash goal, then you figure he's going to get hot against Boston, and then they'd be better off, and he never did. And then last year he just kept not scoring, and they kept winning series, and it was almost like, you know, if this guy's going to break out in the Cup Finals against the Kings, the Rangers aren't going to have a problem. But that never really happened either. And the thing with him is that throughout his career, his goals have come, and, and I wrote about this last year, where there'll be like a stretch of 11 games will have eight goals. Then there'll be eight games with no goals. Then five games with five goals. And he's so streaky and he gets in these hot streaks where once he gets going, you really can't stop him. And, and this season's sort of been different than any other season of his in the league because he's scoring so frequently more of like, uh, you know, you know uh, the all-time pure goal scorers where they're chipping in one, you know, here and there every three games or so and he's not going through right. these hot streaks. And I just think... It's unfair to think that if they get to the playoffs and they get bounced for some reason and he has another bad playoff that everyone's going to blame him and turn him into the scapegoat when they might have not gotten there in the first place without him in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, well, like we talked about earlier with scapegoats, it seems like you know people just like something to blame. They like a tangible single entity to to you know place all of their anger and frustration, whatever it is, on. Um, and and you know, it's 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 silly because. You know, look at the Penguins last year. I don't, I don't remember the exact statistics, but I think Sidney Crosby, you know, had like one goal in 14 games or something like that in the playoffs. Um, I think it was the season before Jonathan Taze had like one goal through the first three rounds. So look, it, 
And, you know, no one's going to mistake those guys as, you know, playoff chokers or anything. They both captain teams to cups, you know, in cases, cases, twice. Um, so, you know, it just happens over small sample sizes. So am I going to say Rick Nash this year in a seven-game series, you know, is going to tear it up? I can't promise that. You know, it's, it's, it's all about sample size. You know, if it was an 82-game series, I think he'd do quite all right, um, as with most good players. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, hopefully for his sake and for the Rangers' sake. You know, this is the year that he finally... Um, you know, gets it going. But even if he did, I'm sure there will be some people who still find a reason to complain about it. <laughs> there definitely would be. And, and to think back to that, that King series and, and losing all those games in overtime and blowing the two goal leads and having those chances in game five in overtime, especially the Nash chance that, you know, hits off the, the, the shaft of the stick. Um, and, and to think back to that and then to see what they did this weekend on the West Coast and, uh, Granted, it's certainly a different animal that games, you know, 30, 38, 39, 40 this season rather than the Stanley Cup final. But um, it just hurts when you look back at that because for as good as the Rangers are right now, it's so hard to, to win a playoff series, to, to stay right. healthy, to get the bounces, to get back there that when, when you watch them beat the Kings, it's like, oh, my gosh, like you just could have done this six months ago. It would have made life easier because who knows the next time they'll get back to the Stanley Cup final and, uh, you know, maybe it won't come again for another 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate timing, but you know, it's just it's just kind of how it is. You know, like you look at like you mentioned uh, in overtime against the Kings, and uh, I think it was Game Five. You know, where it just kind of barely graced a stick of Slava Voinov. Um and then you know you look at this year his hat trick goal against the Capitals basically you know Brady Holby pretty much threw it into the net. You know, and it's not like he's doing in those instances. It's not like he's doing something better against the Capitals than he was against the Kings. It's just that kind of. It's hockey, you know, sometimes you get a great bounce, sometimes you don't. And it just kind of, it was like a perfect storm for Nash last year where just none of the bounces were coming, whether it's posts and great saves or, or, you know, that. So, you know, it's obvious, obviously it's real frustrating and I don't, and I'm, you know, I don't think people are going to be very forgiving of Nash if, uh, you know, he has a great playoff and, you know, they get knocked down in the first round. Um, but, you know, I think people need to just understand that. You know, hockey is a lot, you know, hockey is very dependent on bounces and shooting itself also, you know, uh, it just, you know, sometimes you get those bounces, sometimes you don't. No, and, and that's that's definitely the case. And, and like you said, you know, it's funny because you've got, uh, you know, guys like Wayne Simmons last year in the first round and a light in the lamp and Nash can't buy one no matter how many chances he gets in the slot or how many high-quality chances he got uh, later on in the playoffs. But for, for as hot as the Rangers are right now, it's almost like I, I wish the playoffs were next week because I feel like they're never going to play as well as they are right now and only bad things can happen like uh, Lundqvist pulling his groin or something in the middle of April. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Obviously, in an ideal situation, you get this high at the end of you know end of March, early April, right? But uh, you know, at the same time, look, it's better now. At the same time, it's better now to do it than in, in October. So you know, I, I I think that they'll be all right. Are, are they going to win you know thirteen or fourteen games the rest of the way? You know, probably not. But I think that Vigneault is a good enough coach, and I think you've got enough leadership in the locker room that you know, even when they hit a few ruts, I think they'll be able to figure it out. And, uh, you know, obviously they're a very good team as well. So, you know, I don't think this is, you know, some sort of weird streak or a fluke or anything. You know, I think uh, I think they'll be all right. 
Yeah, and I, and going back to last year uh, when they made the final, it was like whoever won the Blackhawks Kings series, everyone just thought was going to win the Stanley Cup. And and even though history will show that the Rangers lost in five games, uh, it felt more like a seven game series or at least a six game series because how tight the games were and having the three overtime games and the lead changes and that. And then this year, it's sort of the same thing. It just seems like everyone's you know high, heavy, and high on the Western Conference, and not so much on the Rangers. And people were saying that the you know, Rangers are building the streak off of weaker opponents. And then they go to the West Coast and, and they win on the road against the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks all in one weekend. And it, it sort of makes you think, you know, every time the Rangers take the ice for the first time in, in really, I think, forever, it seems like they're going to win no matter who they're playing or where they're playing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, it's kind of weird. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm happy about it, but it's real weird to see them, you know, in that kind of position where it's not kind of like, oh, boy, are they going to be able to, you know, figure this out or, you know, it's you know it's fun to not go into every game with skepticism and cynicism, um, but I, I think uh, you know people are starting to really take the Rangers seriously because uh, even like you said there was the weaker schedule when they were winning it. You know I think people were also holding the start to the season against the Rangers, which you know in many ways is real unfair because of all the injuries um, that the team endured. So yeah, of course they were going to lose a lot of games with you know Matt Hunlick and Mike Costa as their second pairing. So, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't really look at that stretch of the season. So, you know, look, are they going to win third? Like I said, they're not going to win every game the rest of the season, but they're clearly not um, They're clearly not the team that they were in October. I think this version of the Rangers uh, is a lot closer to reality than what we saw. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, everything's great with the Rangers right now. I mean, there's nothing really to complain about. Uh, sure, maybe the lineup changes here and there. Uh, it depends, I guess, personal preference on who people want in and want out. But to see Anthony Duclair get sent back to the juniors after what he went through, uh, you know, in training camp and then to make this team and then his sort of uh, jump onto the scene early on before finding himself uh, watching from the press box a lot, it sort of hurts because, uh, you know, I wanted to see what, what he could do as, as a 19-year-old on this team, on this roster. But um, I guess for his development, it makes sense to have him every day playing in the queue rather than uh, sitting in the press box in the NHL. But for the future of Declare, I mean, I, I know you you know, were big into the World Juniors. Um you're big on the prospects of track these have tracked these guys uh, since they become Rangers. Uh, I mean, how high are you on Declare in his future? Yeah, I think I think the current situation in terms of you know either keeping him the Rangers or signing to the queue is kind of like a no-win situation because you know look it's not going to be much of a test for him in the QMJHL. He knows this. Everyone knows it. The Rangers knows it. Uh, Rangers know it. But you know with the alternative is him sitting in the press box and you know doing bag skates with with the Rangers at practice every day. You know that's not really a great alternative either. Um, so you know at, at least in this case he'll be able to you know, get 25 minutes a night uh, in juniors and still actually play some competitive games uh, in the playoffs. So as for, you know, as for his future, um, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, foreshadow this with, uh, I'll be releasing my prospect rankings of the Rangers in a couple of weeks, but uh, let's just say he's, uh, he's very highly rated. I don't think the Rangers have had an offensive prospect with uh, this kind of upside since Ty Kovalev. Um, so he's a, uh, He's a real interesting player. He's a, you know, I think a lot of people saw he needs to add a bit of muscle, um, and he kind of just needs that, you know, personal growth. But, you know, I, I don't think there are really many holes in his game. You know, I think he just needs to bulk up a bit, and then just experience will uh, do the rest for him. And, uh, you know, I think the Rangers have a very good chance of having, um, you know, homegrown homegrown superstar on their hands, which they have not developed for a while. 
Yeah, I think people, you know, thought maybe along the lines of Stepan or Kreider that they would become that. But when you see Declare at his age and what those guys were at, at, an, at an older age in their rookie seasons, I mean, he just looks different. He looks special. He looks like he has that ability to really, you know, change a game and be the guy on the ice where, in you know, in a couple of years when he's on the ice, other teams, I always compare it to you know, having a Crosby or Ovechkin or even what Nash is this season where every second he's on the ice, you're you're fearful that something bad's going to happen. And he certainly looked like that. I mean, the World Juniors, some of the, you know, the moves he made and some of the goals he had were just incredible and I, I I don't know it's just he looks way different than any uh you know top prospect or pick they've had of any uh, any recent time and like you said Kovalov and, and that's a comparison a lot of people have drawn to and uh I mean that's got to be exciting to think about because you think back what he did in 94 and if Duclair's capable of that in the next couple of years um at least the Rangers know they have some young pieces going forward yeah uh I know you know like, like you said you mentioned Stefan and, and uh you know Kreider and then you can look at like a McDonough and, you know, obviously those are all very good players to varying degrees, but, you know, I think those are the kind of players where you need to watch them for a while to really appreciate what it is that they do. Whereas with Duclair, you know, I remember watching one game in juniors last year. It was the first time I ever watched him play, and I was sold right away. He's just that kind of player, um, you know, where you just need to watch. You know, I think it was on that way for a lot of people um, this preseason as well, where, you know, they watched a couple games in the preseason, and they were just like, wow, this guy's going to be real good. And with Kreider, uh, to mention him, and, and the sense that, uh, you know, I was all for giving him up in the Nash deal three years ago, that's what it came to, because I thought he was a difference maker, and at the time, Kreider had never played a, a second of professional hockey, he's coming out of Hockey East, the BC kid, mm-hmm. and because the Rangers have just had miserable experiences with, uh, you know, not only, not only Hockey East, but BC kids, like Boyle or, or other guys, and, and, you know, Mato going back, or... Uh, mm-hmm. It just seemed like if you have a chance to get Rick Nash, you got to do what you can to get him, and eventually they didn't have to give him up. But to this point, I just feel like Kreider, uh, you know, he has these games, he, he has these spurts where you, you understand why he was so highly touted and what he is, and then he goes through these stretches where he isn't. And I know his development in, in the first couple of years was kind of screwed up because they didn't know what he was when he got called up. He wasn't getting real minutes. He gets sent back down. It was it was just no one really knew what to do of him or make of him at that point. And now I, I thought he would, you know, Maybe have been a, a little farther along than he is now, but um, when you when you stack him up in comparison to other prospects you see at his age, um, with, you know, with his first round status, what do you make of Kreider now in his, uh, you know, really just his his second full season with the Rangers? Yeah, you know, it, it's really easy to to forget um, because like he's been so he's been with the Rangers for so many years, even though this is his second real year with the team, and you know he's only twenty three years old, and he'll be twenty three until late April. Uh, that's still really young for a hockey player, both in terms of age and in terms of his uh, his kind of uh, career development. So I think you have to keep that in perspective when evaluating his play. Um, and, you know, has it been all rainbows and sunshine for him? Clearly not. You know, last year he was sent down to Hartford for a bit. You know, and this year he's had a few stretches where, uh, you know, the puck just was not going in for him. But, you know, I think you have to look at a total package in the long term out um, Outlook, and I think you have to be pretty uh, content with what he's developing into compared to, you know, where the Rangers drafted him. Um, so, you know, it's still going to take some time. He's obviously not, you know, he's not the thinker of the game like a step on or a Brassard is. So it's going to take a bit of, of coaching and a bit of time uh, for him to really figure out his, uh, his, um, his place in the game, I guess you could say. But, you know, like I said, he's still only 23. Um, you know, and most forwards are peaking around 26, 27 years old. So, uh, 
I think you just have, people just have to be patient with him. Obviously, he's starting to score some goals uh, with the Rangers, and you know I think there's still a very good chance he develops into um, develops into you know a, a 30 goal score at the NHL level. Well, the Rangers uh, are back east. They got the Islanders on Tuesday, who they're chasing in the standings. Uh, they got a few games in hand, so really, it's it's not that much of a chase at this point. But and then they've got Boston on Thursday, and uh, you know, after being the team to beat, it seemed like in the East last year, they're going through uh, sort of a downswing um, up there. And two opponents that are, that are going to be challenging as the schedule moves on here, just like it was this weekend on the West Coast. But when you see the Islanders and, and you see the turnaround they've had now that they've stacked so many, uh, you know, young prospects over the year so many high picks and it's finally coming together they finally have their goaltending situation somewhat figured out um when you when you look at the rangers islanders here i mean do you expect to see down the road the the first round matchup between them and the metro and the penguins getting the one seed it just it just seems like that would be fitting to have the rangers at this stage um coming off their season last year and the islanders where they're headed meet in the first round and 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 probably have a lengthy six or seven game series yeah i mean well it it certainly uh would be a breath of fresh air you know because it seems like you know, it's been a long time since both the Rangers and the Islanders, you know, kind of were were heading in the right direction. You know, uh, the Islanders haven't won a playoff series since 1993, which is a real long time. <laughs> and uh, you know, the the few like three or four years where they were kind of sticking around as a borderline playoff team, you know, the Rangers were going through their through their own issues, and you know, in the early 2000s. So, you know, this is kind of really the first time that they're both, you know kind of in a place where I think fans can be happy in both cases. So uh, it would definitely, especially with the Coliseum being in its, uh, in its final season, um, you know, I think it would definitely be real, real interesting. Certainly would uh, generate a lot of buzz in, in uh, the New York area. Um, so, you know, I'm all for it. And, and with the standings and the Rangers right now in third because of uh, the situation having three games less played than the Islanders, uh, and then you look at the Atlantic with Tampa Bay, Montreal, Detroit atop there, I feel like not enough people are talking about the Rangers outside of New York or, or at least in um, you know in the hockey world, and, and certainly everyone knows they're hot, but I don't think people you know just realize how good they've been now for the last six weeks. And everyone talks about you know Tampa Bay, Montreal, Pittsburgh really being the teams that be in the East, but I feel like the Rangers are on equal footing, um, and and they should be you know considered in that same elite class in the conference. Yeah, I mean, well, it kind of it kind of happened last year as well. You know, again with the Rangers, you know they did not have a great start to the season. Obviously, um, if you look at the standings since January first of last year, the Rangers, I believe it was, they were either the first or second best team in terms of. Um, in terms of winning percentage, you know, which going into the playoffs, it seems like no one was really, you know, no one really cared or no one really knew or whatever it was. And, you know, it seems like the Rangers kind of took uh, people by surprise as they made their way to the finals. So, you know, you know, look, obviously in New York, there's enough pressure as it is on the Rangers. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure that they're perfectly fine with the attention being, uh, you know, on those other teams. But, you know, I agree that, uh, you know, there's no reason the Rangers shouldn't be in the same, uh, on the same level as, um, you know, a Pittsburgh or, or a Montreal. You know, obviously they've got a slate of dragging with Tampa Bay and beat them for once, but, uh, you know, I, I, they're obviously they're in that mix and, um, they should be seen as a legit playoff contender. All right, Adam. Well, thanks for coming on today, and uh, we'll have to talk again after the All-Star break uh, and going down towards more towards the stretch run with the Rangers. Uh, hopefully they stay hot when they return home here, uh, face the Islanders and the Bruins this week, and uh, I look forward to talking again. Yeah, anytime. Thank you.